Hello everyone and welcome to the Constructed Criticism Network. This network is here to help you improve in Magic the Gathering at every level. From popper leagues to top 1000 mythic, we've got you covered. If you want to hear the entire network, head on over to our sponsor at puremtgo.com where you can hear each and every show, each and every week, and check out their sponsor, MDGO Traders, and tell them that the CCMTG Network sent you. Now sit back, enjoy the show, from YouTube, podcasts, and more, here's this week's episode from ConstructedCriticism.com. What's going on, everybody? I hope you're having a better week than, well, I hope everybody's having an okay week. I, I can't really make a joke there. I mean, we're, we're all having a rough time right now. But it's time for this week's episode. It's our trip down the homeward path. My name is Adam. I am a husband, a father of three. I just got done working roughly 50 hours this week. And somehow, someway, even with, you know, Doors closing on LGSs around the country and the world as shelter-in-place orders are put into effect. We do our best to find a way to make magic work. It's a passion. It's a lifeblood. Even if we're not interested in trying to become professionals, it's the game we love. So if that's something that interests you, well, you better be packing me in your sideboard because I'm going to be your companion. As we traverse this week into a little bit of the Ikoria previews, before diving into our main topic, which is going to cover dealing with bad beats, dealing with bad matchups, dealing with variants. It's it's not a rehash of the episode I did on uh, avoiding tilt or dealing with tilt, but it is constructive ways to get yourself through bad matchups and what you feel like is potentially unfair circumstances, whether it's, you know, playing against players who have consistently have a higher budget than yourself or whatever because it's something we all deal with right so we're going to slide over into the fast lane we're going to put a foot on the gas and we are going to talk mechanics for ikoria i don't want to talk too much about specific cards because i don't usually like to do that until we have everything at our disposal but oh goodness this set looks like fun the inner timmy tammy whatever upgraded updated version of the the player psychographic for that loves giant monsters that smash people's faces in uh that that inner psychographic in me is here for ikoria it is the limited format looks like it's going to be such a blast figuratively and literally um it just looks like big dumb monster the magic set and i am there, there, there's a big portion of my soul that's ready for this one. Uh, for those of you who don't know, so the mechanics got previewed right away. We know what the mechanics are. We just don't know necessarily what all they're going to do with them. Uh, mutate is the first one, and it's sort of a hash on the augment and host mechanic they did in Unstable. Uh, for those unaware and for those who have not gotten a chance to look around yet the way uh the way mutate works is you have a creature in your hand that has mutate you treat it like a split card it's the best way i can describe it right you treat it like it's a split card the version of it that you know is the outer frame is the main card it's the main body of the card it's the easiest way to cast it pay its mana cost you get the printed stats and abilities or 
you can pay its mutate cost, at which point it essentially overlays or underlays onto an existing non-human creature, which is to say it almost functions like bestow. Not exactly, because it's not, it, you don't become an aura giving those abilities. You don't, it, it's not quite the same. Instead, what you do, the, the creature is the one on top, and then it gains the abilities of everything underneath it. So the face is the one you see at the top, and then the rules text below is what applies out of the rest of them. Which is to say numerous variations on mechanical things like they have when this creature mutates or when you mutate, you know, when you cast a creature spell with mutate, some of them, there's one that you can mutate from your graveyard. You know, you can cast it from your graveyard by using its mutate ability, which is bananas. I mean, it's awesome. It's cool. Really wildly unexplored design space. The idea of creating new creatures with the ones on the board. It's the closest thing Magic's ever gotten to a clean iteration of the Yu-Gi-Oh! Fusion Summon. And I would argue that it's a cleaner iteration than that of the Yu-Gi-Oh! Fusion Summon. Because so many of those just don't have anything to do with the things you put together. The next mechanic is called Companion. And this one is borrowing really heavily from Hearthstone. Uh, for those of you who played, oh, what is it, Baku and uh, Gen, Gre uh, Gen Greymare, I think it is, in, in Hearthstone before they both got bumped to Hall of Fame status and you weren't allowed to play them anymore because they were way too powerful. Uh, they are the even and odd, like your deck has to contain even cards, your deck has to contain odd cards. And in exchange for that, you get some kind of ability. Well, now we have Companion, which says if your starting deck contains blah, you can cast this spell from outside the game. And then all of them have some sort of ability related, ostensibly related to leveraging that uh, mechanical identity, i.e. The, the hippo, whose name I can't remember right now, gives you uh, your deck building restriction is you can only play cards that cost three or more, but in exchange, when it enters the battlefield, you draw a card for each permanent you control that costs three or more. So that's just an absolutely bananas commander card for Simic decks, or Teamer decks, or Saltai decks, or Bant decks, whatever. It's going to be fun, right? It's going to be a ton of fun. And I mean, that's what we got going for us. I mean, I will have to give the caveat, the blue-red one, the blue-red companion, I think the card's name is Lutri. I can't remember the rest of the name. I know it's an elemental otter, and there will be references to that fact later on. Don't worry, you otter stick around. Uh, but Lutri in particular has a, a restriction that caused it to get banned in Commander immediately. Because Lutri's restriction, Lutri's deck building restriction is play commander. Uh, have no more than one of each non-land card in your deck. That is literally not a restriction if you're playing commander. None at all. And to top it off, you know, this card gets to exist in your, in 
outside the game, even though Commander doesn't have a sideboard, Wizard says, hey, these things work even with no sideboards allowed. You know, wishes don't work. Same thing. Right? No. No. Companion still works. You can still have a companion even though we don't have sideboards. But Lutri's restriction was to play with only one copy of every non-land card. And the upside is being a dual caster mage. Uh, it's a three mana flash. I can't remember how big the creature is. But when it enters the battlefield, copy an instant or sorcery you control and choose new targets. So, I mean, that's just like really good. Or at least passable. Especially in Commander, where you frequently have to jump through a lot of hoops in order to get extra copies of stuff. I.e., you know, buying cards back from the graveyard, adding cards back to your hand, exiling them to cast again, so on and so forth. You know, you have to, you're, you normally your, your dual caster mage type card effects take up space in your deck. Lutri doesn't. So it just becomes too easy to play in every single deck that could play is it? Is it Jeskai, Grixis, Teamer? I'm forgetting one. I know I am. Doesn't matter. Uh, the point is, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you like the decision or hate the decision. Lutri is banned in Commander. So I don't want to have any more discussions about that. However, if your playgroup wants to try it out, try it out. I mean, it's the beautiful thing about Commander. It's a casual format. You can, uh, by design, casual formats are casual. You can do what you want. Ignore the rules committee altogether. Just don't try to do that at a command fest. So that's Companion. Again, if you buy into the restriction that they have, you get paid off. And uh, Garuda... I think it is the the blue black one that may just be the Godzilla series name. I, I can't remember so far, but the the blue black one's really good. You have to play with even cost cards, but in exchange, when it enters the battlefield, you can pilfer uh, an even cost creature out of an opponent's graveyard. That's it's really really good. It just is. It's really good. I will be getting one of those for uh, I will be getting one of those for Lazav, and I will be starting to make some changes to Lazav. <laughs> that's going to be a blast. So the next mechanic we have the glorious return of cycling to standard, and it has already been too long, even though it was just in standard with Amonkhet. I love cycling. Anybody who knows me knows I love modal spells. I love being able to choose how my cards work. And one of the beautiful things about cycling is when the front half of the card is something you want and then they put cycling on it, it gets stronger. Because when it's not something you want, it can turn into something you want. And not for nothing, this gives a little bit more legs. You know, you add the more cards you add, the better it gets. To the old abandoned sarcophagus deck that was in standard. Uh, the one that says uh, it's a Yogmoth's Will artifact for cycling cards, which is to say you can cast the ones out of your graveyard 
But if they enter the graveyard without going there through cycling, they get exiled. And then when you cast the ones out of your graveyard, they get exiled. Well, the more cycling cards we have, the better options that deck gains. And then, of course, cards like Drake Haven and uh, Throne of the God Pharaoh, Throne of Blood. I can't remember the name of the card that, you know, every time you cycle, you can pay one and ping your opponent for two and gain two. Like, it's an inevitability engine. And the more cycling cards you have, the better it gets. There's, there's really not much to say. It's just a question of how much more they want to do with cycling. You know, we have one that's a, it's a one-drop creature, one-one. Every time you cycle, plus one, plus one counter on it. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So, I mean, mutate, companion, cycling... We have the wedge color variation on Adam, and it doesn't have a key a keyword name, but it does have. Uh, it's a cycle of cards that are monocolored, but when you play them with the two wedge colors of mana, i.e., the black one is when you play it by spending green and white mana in order to cast it, it becomes more powerful. Uh, one of them is. Destroy target permanent if it's a creature or if green or white green and white were spent to cast this so it's either uh, a Three mana terminate or it's a vindicate. It's just an actual vindicate So I mean that that's powerful and then you have the the balance uh, Each player I think it's each player chooses one of each permanent type or each non-land permanent type I can't remember the, the exact text on it, uh, but, you know, sacrifice the rest. And then if it's, it's mono white, so then if red and black were spent to cast it, instead you choose what your opponent keeps. Ew. So that's, that's going to be a heavy, heavy handed reset button on the standard format and is either going to speed it way up or slow it way down, and I'm not sure which, which is going to happen or which one I prefer. For example, I don't know how much good that card does against a Rotting Regisaur wearing a, an Embercleave because you get to keep a creature and an artifact. Also, not for nothing, Mardu as a reactive color combination. Never has been the best. I mean, there's that too. But I love the idea of, you know, we just got done with Adamant in... Uh, oh, my English is broken today, everybody. I am so sorry. We just got done with Adamant in Throne of Eldraine, and then we got Devotion in Theros. So the prevailing wisdom was we're going to have really heavy color requirements this whole year, and it's all going to play nice together. And then here comes this cycle of cards going, no, 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 no. Play more multicolored. Because, you know, you still have all those shock lands and all those multicolored cards from all those Ravnica blocks. Play more multicolored. I love it. Pull players in a bunch of different directions. Give them a lot of incentives to do things. I love it. And then the last mechanic is the debut of ability or keyword counters. Which is to say... Cards that enter the battle, or cards that give keyword counters, you put a counter on that creature. Uh, one of them, 
the one that they they altered into Mothra. I can't remember the name. That's like Luminous Brood Moth or something. When a creature you control without flying dies, return that creature to the battlefield with a flying counter on it. That creature has flying. I have to agree with Dylan Hand. I cannot wait until or I can't remember who it was that said. I think it was Dylan Hand. I I can't wait until they put out a line of dice. Give me a D10 that has all the different keywords on it. Plus one, plus one. Uh, flying, first strike, lifelink, death touch, menace, double strike. Uh, it just it just has all the keywords. Trample. You know, give me one of those. Give me you know, the, we have the Tarmo dice. Let's let's do those. Let's do a die. Give me a D10 that has all the keywords on it. And let me get like 10 of them. <laughs> We're gonna need it. On the bright side, because this set is releasing so much later in paper than on Arena, we got time to work on that. Any of my dice maker people out there, you know who you are. Get on that. It's gonna be fun. So. Those are the mechanics from Ikoria. We have Mutate, we have Companion, we have Cycling Returning, we have the Wedge Adamant variation, and we have uh, Keyword Counters. From an overall aesthetic and overall feel for the set, it's very much about creatures. And not just any creatures, but large creatures. Very large creatures. I don't really have any predictions yet. That'll be another episode down the line once we have more cards from the set and I start, you know, brewing, talking things out with people, uh, putting myself in position. I'm. It releases on Arena on April the 16th, I believe, and I am currently saving every single scrap of gold that I get from playing my Arena dailies. I am also saving all of my wild cards. So, with the goal of getting a whole bunch of Ikoria as soon as it drops. That's what we're after. I've already mentioned that before. I just wanted to say it again. It's not a bad idea, especially if you're just now getting started. Like, hammer that out. Let's get on it. Now, there's, there's no reason right now. There's, there's no real benefit to crafting and spending just let's let's power up that set let's power this thing up so with that out of the way let's slide over into the slow lane and let's talk about bad beats let's talk about the bad playing through bad matchups because i've had to do it a lot and it can be absolutely rage inducing there's no other way to describe it not, you know, it's angry. No, it's, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm playing against Mono Red for the 15th time while I'm trying to get the Wishboard and Sultai Adventures right. And the more I play against Mono Red, the more I want copies of cards like Epic Downfall and Ritual of Soot. And I know that's wrong. It happens. So, 
when you're playing a lot against a bad matchup, whether it's at your local metagame once we get to go back to them, or grinding the arena ladder, there's a few things to keep in mind. There's a, there's a, a calculated approach to take rather than angrily throwing your mouse at your computer screen and having to explain things to people. Mainly your spouse or people online that helped you buy things. I'm not saying I did it. I'm not saying I didn't do it. You can extrapolate however you want to. I didn't do it. I'm just making stories up. Uh, first and foremost, when it comes to playing through bad matchups, you're going to run into them. There is no such thing as a deck that beats everything. Doesn't exist. If it did, it would be the most played deck in, ever, in, in the format that it was legal in. And it would be prohibitively expensive for the audience that I am talking to on this show. It would be impossible to build for someone like myself. Because, frankly, I'm just not comfortable spending the money for something like that. And I don't care if there's a tier zero deck in standard. If it's so good, you have to play it. What am I going to do? Not play standard for a while. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. But when it comes, the standard formats are weird. Even Pioneer, I would argue, is a weird format in that I don't think there's anything polarized to the to the degree of matchups you see like in modern now modern can absolutely be rage inducing from a bad matchup standpoint because modern there's a whole lot more you know 65 35 70 30 matchups than there are 50 50 55 45 matchups that's just the nature of modern decks are either much faster or much better at grinding than you are or they have, you know, if you're both playing similar game plans, one of you has a superior long game plan, or one of you has the ability to win in burst in a burst better. Whatever the case may be. Recognize that these things are going to happen. They are bad matchups for a reason. Second, don't dismiss every weird random bad matchup you run into as nonsense. Obviously, you don't want to dismiss Mono Red in Standard, or you don't want to dismiss Racto Sacrifice in Standard. Those decks are really good. But even if you come up against, like, the Green-White Boggles deck, it's not necessarily nonsense. Because even if that deck doesn't look good, that doesn't mean it isn't well-positioned somewhere. So even when you're getting your teeth kicked in by something you don't think you'll ever see again, you can learn from it by realizing what it's good against. Maybe it's inconsistent. Maybe that's something you can file away for later to tune, to work on, to update, to upgrade. You know, the, the Hateful Eidolon deck had to start somewhere. The, uh, the, the, the pile of cards my friend Jared plays that I love to death. I love this deck. And I, I want to work on it, but I can't justify spending the wild cards to get the stuff. But it's, you know, we're playing almost like a team or ramp deck, but instead of playing big dumb monsters, we're going to go 
thousand year storm iron crag feet electrodominance. You know, we're gonna we're gonna opt iron crag feet, copy, make 14 mana, cast electrodominance for X equals 12 three times, and kill somebody. <laughs> Is it good? No. Is it going to beat somebody playing a good deck? Probably. Because sometimes you're just well positioned. If everybody is playing way too much uh, creature removal, for example, like I got nothing for that outside of Thought Erasure and Ashiok in the blue-black control deck that, I, that I've been playing forever. Because all that deck is good at is killing creatures in game ones. We sideboard into stuff like duress, but for the most part, we're really just trying to maintain the board. So this is the type of deck that just, it, it just beats me up, takes my lunch money. And there's not a thing I can really do about it in the color combination that I have. Unless I'm willing to seed ground to other matchups. And that's the, the balancing act to strike, Right. Yes, you can run into bad matchups and you can tilt way off based on the fact that you've had a bad experience over the last few days, over the last few hours, over the last few leagues, over you know, however long it's been, whatever you've been going through. Small sample size, massive sample size. Even when it feels like you're not learning anything, file information away. Valuable information can be gleaned from wildly unlikely sources. So, I mean, don't dismiss it completely out of hand. <sighs> you know, uh, an interesting wrinkle maybe, you know, regarding that Thousand Year Storm deck. Maybe you play a fun of Thousand Year Storm in your Wilderness Reclamation Expansion Explosion deck. Because you can get the one, you can put it down on the table, untap your lands at end phase, you know, float mana, untap your lands, tap your lands again. Maybe, you know, you cast the Thousand Year Storm with 10 lands on the battlefield. You untap, you know, float four, untap. Explosion you for 10, copied, that's 20. That's still lethal. And it also makes cards like Scorching Dragonfire and Chemistry's Insight or Thassa's Intervention. It makes all of those cards better. You know, Thassa's Intervention suddenly becomes twice as good. It draws you four cards out of however many that, you know, it draws you the best four cards out of twice what X is. That's really powerful. So maybe... You know, even though Thousand Year Storm feels like a meme, maybe it's not as bad as we think it is. Unlikely, you know, unlikely, yes. But is it something to dismiss out of hand because it's not what everybody's playing? No. So even when it feels like you're not gaining any knowledge from this, file it away. You might find yourself piecing stuff together over time and find yourself into something down the line that lines you up better against what everybody else is playing, even though 
you've been trying to make something else work. And then last but not least, when it comes to approaching your bad matchups, we have to go through the, the requisite, if you have to stick it out, if you don't have the capital to be uh, deck mobile, the way that's, that some of us are fortunate enough to be able to do. If you are not as deck mobile, step one, play the matchup like you know what it's about. A really good example is it is really easy to get your, get your stuff wrecked by flash decks when you're playing mono red. Because, you know, every fiber of your training, you know, your years of academy training at playing mono red tells you curve out on them. Just play the most powerful cards in your hand every turn. Eventually they die. You know, take however much mana I have and divide, you know, divide that by the powerful cards in my hand. Play the most powerful one every turn and eventually you just, you just beat your opponent. Like... You either have multiple powerful cards to cast every turn or you get to a point where you have, you know, every top deck could be potentially game winning. Every burn spell, every... In, in standard right now, the mono red deck plays much more kind of like a, like a white aggro deck. Anax is really powerful. Bonecrusher Giant's really powerful. Torbrand is really powerful. Embercleave is really powerful. But all of those are bad against the flash deck because they want to interact with those cards. Aethergust interacts very favorably with your Embercleave turn. Uh, Quench, Sinister Sabotage, Frilled Mystic, Brineborn uh, Cutthroat interact favorably against the way your deck plays. And the last time I had to play a best of three against Simic Flash, I approached the matchup from a different mindset. If I resolve a threat, make them deal with it. You know, a card like Robber of the Rich is insane against the Flash decks because it comes down frequently on a turn where they have the shields down, right? They go turn one or turn two. Their, their turn one play is usually either tap land or like land, maybe they Spectral Sailor or opt. And then on two, it's either the tap land that they didn't play on one because they were trying to opt or they're leaving up like Stern Dismissal or Unsummon. Well, then on turn two, they go tap land, leave that up again, or maybe we're leaving up Mystical Dispute plus uh, plus Stern Dismissal or Unsummon. Well, now that Robber of the Rich is a massive tempo swing. Because if they, you know, they Stern Dismissal or Unsummon, great. You got to do it before combat. You're not gaining a speed edge in that it doesn't make me take multiple turns off to redeploy this. Now let's go again. Let's keep going. Let's let's get on the board again. Okay, you played uh, your response to my 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 scorch spitter was to cast Brineborn Cutthroat and leave up leave up the opt for the instep. Well, it's a good thing my, my scorch spitter was accompanied by the scorching dragonfire or this shock or this bone crusher giant. And suddenly I've got this 4-3 waiting in the wings that you have to worry about. And that means on turn on turn four, I can run out another one dropper. I can run out this robber of the rich again. Let's get that in there. Okay, there's the frilled mystic. Cool. My turn. Here's the bone crusher. You know, 
you play the matchup, you force them to interact with each individual threat as they go, and eventually they have to take time off from interacting to try to play to the board, at which point you gain leverage against cards like Nightpack Ambusher. You know, you can swing in, you have the Ember Cleave or you have the Rimrock Knight. They have to, if they're not respecting it, they're going to get beat up. You know, sometimes it's it's just that simple. Maybe they tap out for Nyssa, make the 3-3, and you end step the Scorching Dragonfire for the 3-3, untap, play the Torbrand with your Scorch Spitter Robber of the Rich on the table, and just kill Nyssa. You know, they think their powerful card is enough, and it's not because of how you've structured the game so far. So, in essence, you have to have a plan. Whether it's a good plan or a bad plan, you have to have one. And then from there, based on your deck construction, see if there's a viable sideboard plan that moves that matchup in a, in a meaningful, positive way. I.e., like, my blue-black control deck, when I play against all these other, the other interactive control decks like Reclamation or, uh, you know, blue-white, I don't really have much in the way of, of, of pressure or threats for them. You know, it's, it's Ashiok Nightmare Muse, it's Liliana Dreadhorde General, or it's, you know, cumulative milling and then them drawing cards with uh, Ashiok Dream Render. Maybe they eventually run out of gas, right? No, that's, that's terrible. Elspeth Conquer's death becomes way too powerful against you. You know, your mono non-creature spells. Narset does... Narset is almost at odds with one of those win conditions, so on and so forth. So it becomes prudent to sideboard down on your removal because they don't have much in the way of things to hit, even after sideboard. And instead focus on something that is disruptive and fast and powerful. So we board into Thief of Sanity plus more disruption and counter magic. Because if we get the Thief of Sanity down soon, we bury our opponent in their own cards. They can shatter the sky, and I don't care. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's all there is to it. They can do that, but I, just, I don't care. We can board into a command the Dread Horde with all this disruption. Like, when we're playing Thought Erasures and, and Duresses, we board into, you know, Command the Dreadhorde. That swings that matchup meaningfully. Because Thought Erasure and, and Duress can be taking cards like Teferi Time Raveler, uh, the, the Elspeth Dream Trawler, And then you just command the Dreadhorde and rebuild this massive board that they have to deal with. Like, when you command the Dreadhorde back their Dream Trawler, that's really powerful. Command the Dreadhorde back their Archon of Sun's Grace. Playing your own Omen of the Seas and... Uh, oh, I had it and I lost it. I had the name of a card in my head. 
lost it. Even just your own omen of the seas. That's really powerful. It's really good. Does everything you need it to do. That kills your opponent nicely, just like anything else you want to do. On balance, for something like Mono Red to try to beat up on something like Jeskai Fires, there's not really a ton you can do. The way they've built their deck is just intrinsically good against what you have access to. I mean, yeah, you can play stuff like Red Cat Melee to try to get extra damage through Cavaliers. Uh, Fry to help you push through Blue Cavaliers and get Teferi off the table. But you don't have anything that interacts with them at their fundamental level. So it's often just better to try to streamline your deck and be faster after sideboard. Is it a good plan? No. And that means you don't need to devote a lot of space to it. Because, frankly, there's no improving that matchup quantifiably. You just, like, you board into something like Experimental Frenzy and hope you get really lucky. You know, maybe your Robber of the Rich hits a bunch of nonsense. Something along those lines, right? So, at the end of the day, when it comes to playing through bad matchups, bad matchups, bad matchups, I've been at work too long today. When it comes to playing through bad matchups, it's important to realize they're going to happen. Not all of them are nonsense. And you need to have a plan, even if it's bad. And if that plan needs to include your sideboard, figure out if it's worth implementing based on how many slots it's going to take up. And that's all I've got. I, I, it's another one of those mindset videos, right? Or another one of those mindset episodes, right? I mean, I talk about mindset a lot, but it's one of the most important things to have as a player who has to fight through adversity who has to fight through the kinds of things that frustrate the everything out of you. Mindset can often be key. So, at the end of the day, get yourself in the right one. And with that, that's all I got for this week. I, I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank everybody for sticking around. I know it's been a really trying time. If you feel like you need to reach out, you need to talk to somebody, let me know. I am very easy to find. Almost always have my phone on me. I mean, I, I, I try to respond to everybody as quickly as I can. And I don't want, I don't want anyone to suffer because they're, they're struggling mentally. So if you need to do that, or if you just want to talk magic, maybe you missed the gathering. I can, I can be part of your gathering. Oh my goodness. There are so many this week. You can find me on Twitter at homeward path, MTG on Facebook. My name is Adam Spain on, uh, our Facebook group, the Homeward Pathfinders. If you're a patron of the show, and I hope you will consider that if you have it to spare, I will get to that in a moment. You gain access to our patron Pathfinders Discord. If you want to become a patron of the show, head over to patreon.com slash homewardpathmtg. 
If you have it to spare, feel free. If you don't, don't do it. If it's the difference between sending me Patreon and you getting a meal, get your food. These are tough times. Everybody's tight. I understand. I'm not looking for, you know, I'm not looking to try to squeeze every last drop out of anybody. So, you know, those of you who are patrons, if you need to take some months off, do it. I would rather you do that than go through hardship. So, with that, let's move on to my favorite segment every week. Hashtag MTG Dad Jokes. And we're making up for the fact that I haven't done these in a while by having just a ton of them this week. Uh, first, Spencer Howland. I love you, buddy. Uh, in reference to Lutri the Spell Chaser, which I'm finally sitting still and capable of looking at. So, uh, Zach Wayne says, I heard this is pre-banned in Commander already. And Spencer says... That's an otter disaster. This tweet was brought to you by Hot Homeward Path MTG. I appreciate that, Spencer. I needed that. <laughs> Next up. Says, uh, what Ikoria mechanic is, are you most excited about? And Ben Stark says, that one of these is the best mechanic ever created. Emma Partlow is, has a picture of a bear riding a very tiny tricycle. Mason says, mutate. And then and they go back and forth with several gifts. And then Mason says, I'm cycling through the keywords and I just can't figure it out. <laughs> Love it. Uh, next up, we have quite a few in this one. It begins with a, with a, a promo for an article by one Autumn Burchette, who says, wrote all about Garuda Doom of Depths this week on, on SEG Premium. It's such a fun and exciting card. Garuda Doom of Depths is even more powerful than it looks. Alternate title, ignoring Garuda Doom of Depths would be an odd decision. For those of you who don't know, Garuda Doom of Depths is the companion that wants you to play even cost cards only in your decks. To which someone says, boo. Uh, Yeoman5 says, boo, the joke got cut. To which Baker Neenan says, well, they left the other joke in, so I'd say we're even. I said, ah, you know, it feels a bit odd to say, though. Maybe we should roll a die, to be fair. <laughs> got, it, got it. I had to do it. Uh, the girl with the lotus tattoo says, I just realized the rules committee told Lutri to get Otter here. Ah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Embrace the meme, everyone. Uh, Christian Hawk. Regarding, I, I, I got to look at the name. Droneth Magistrate, the one that says your opponent can't cast spells from anywhere other than their hands. Christian Hawk says he may not be a big monster, but believe me when I say there is no escape. Hallelujah. <laughs> Thank heavens for that. Uh, next up, level three Lowry. Says, can't you just play the otter anyway in your playgroup? I said, yeah, you probably ought to give it a try. <laughs> I have no shame. None whatsoever. Uh, Aaron Campbell says, I feel like Wizards really buried the lead with Ikoria. 
And then we have all of these graveyard referenced cards, and we will get to those in a later episode. I'm so excited. I'm unreasonably excited about that. And then last but not least, uh, from Savantir, says this is literally the most menacing creature in all of magic. In this case, it's the uh, Nightmare Dinosaur that has menace and says whenever a creature you control with menace becomes blocked, defending player sacrifices a creature blocking it. Literally the most menacing creature in all of magic. You are not wrong. <laughs> it's even funnier when you get two of them down because you swing and they have to double block and then both of their blockers die. <laughs> That's hilarious. Unfortunate, but hilarious. So that's all I've got for this week, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the, the episode. Again, you got questions, comments, concerns at Homeward Path MTG. Facebook, my name is Adam Spain. Post them in the group, Homeward Pathfinders. While you're online, check out the content from our uh, parent network, constructedcriticism.com, or our sponsor, puremtgo.com. I love working with these people, and you should love supporting them just as much as I do. And with that, I leave you with my quote. End every episode. When interacting with people in these tough and trying times, always remember words of wisdom from the 12th Doctor. Never be cruel. Never be cowardly. Remember that hate is always foolish and love is always wise. Always try to be nice, but never fail to be kind. So, this is me signing off saying, stay kind, everybody. We'll catch you next week.